if you're new here, you're catching us at, in the second to last week of a series that we started a few weeks ago entitled, Who Is This? Um, we wanted to take five weeks following Easter to talk about Jesus and how we can encounter with Jesus. Um, unique to us in Tempe, as opposed to all the other congregations, we wanted to look at narratives of Jesus encountering women. Um, and first week in resurrection, we saw two women who came to the tomb and noticed that it was empty. And we talked about who is this who raises from the dead. The week following that, we talked about who is this that exposes darkness and how Jesus exposes sin, and we looked at Jesus and the woman at the well. Last week, Vince came and he taught about who is this who knew no sin, and he came and he taught about the woman who was caught in the act of adultery um, and how Jesus said the one who is without sin cast the stone, and he was the one who was without sin, and though he did not cast the stone. And this week, we're going to look at who is this who saves the world. Um, who is this who comes to take away sin? And not only take away sin, but we're going to look at more, far more the comprehensive nature of sin and how sin affects us in more ways than one. Um, ultimately, how we are sinners, and yet sin also affects us. And so when Jesus comes to live, and Jesus comes to die, and he's raised, that there's something about the gospel that brings power, a restorative power. And then next week, we're going to wrap up the series in looking at faith in Jesus. Um, next week, and we'll wrap it up on Mother's Day. But today, we're looking at Jesus who saves the world. And so um, what we'll do is look at this pretty famous story here about a woman who has been bleeding for 12 years, and she just wants to encounter Jesus. She just wants to get close to Jesus, just to touch just the, just the hem of his garment, hoping, trusting that he is truly the Messiah that can heal, truly the Messiah that can save. And so what we're going to do tonight is walk through the story, and so I'll spend the most part walking through the story, and then take about four, four ways in which we see this woman encounter Jesus that we can hope that we should encounter him as well. But before we jump into the text, as always, would you guys join, your, um, join with me in, in prayer and ask God, the Holy Spirit, to illuminate the scriptures that we uh, may be enlightened. Father, we thank you so much for the gospel of Jesus Christ. God, we thank you for the work um, that you are doing in our body. We thank you for those who are here, Lord, who love you and are called by your name, and, and for those who are here, Lord, who, uh, who do not yet know you. Father, we ask, Lord, that you would take your word, and God, you would humble us, you would teach us. God, that you would convict us, that you would give us a view of who you are and a picture of who you are, Lord, that would lead us into repentance and worship. Father, I pray that you would help me say exactly what you want me to say and no more. That you would remove me, that we may see Jesus. God, this is what we desperately need, um, is to see Jesus. And so we pray, Holy Spirit, um, that you would do that for us, you would do it in us and through us. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, some of you guys know this, some of you don't know it, but what we do for children's ministry is that um, whatever we're teaching in here, so what we're learning in here, they're also learning uh, simultaneously in the children's ministry. We call it sermon-based curriculum. And, and so whatever's happening here, they're doing over there. Now, one of the things they get to do that we don't get to do is they get to do arts and craft. All right, maybe one day we'll bring some glitter and some glue, we'll figure it out, but as of now, I don't think that's a good idea. Um, so they, they get to do arts and craft, and so a couple weeks ago, um, I can't remember exactly what the scripture was, um, but the picture was, it's, it was a painting that they did, and it said, this painting is not perfect, but Jesus is. And so some of us, the dads, were out there laughing like, oh man, they just totally humiliated our kids. Like, hey, what if it's perfect? We may have the next Van Gogh here in Redemption Tempe. And it's like, how dare Caitlin do that to our kids? Uh, and, uh, but at, and honestly, like you see the painting, you go, yeah, yeah, that's true. <laughs> and, and we start laughing. I thought, no, that's good. That's good that we're honest with our kids. No, you're not a good painter. Um, sometimes... <laughs> so, <laughs> 
that, 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 that's a good thing. Because, because honestly, guys, we live in a culture where people don't speak truth in each other's lives. We do whatever we can to kind of get around it. Um, this, 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 doesn't ha- this happens in school as you grow up. The way that most of us were taught and the way that um, people were able to speak to us in school, they're not allowed to do that anymore. Um, you're not allowed to do that because it's politically incorrect. Um, you might, you know, jack up somebody's eagle or what, ego or something like that, and their eagle. Um, there's a, you, it just it hurts, right? We, so we, there's, there's, no, there's no honesty. Um, we, we see this not just in school. We see this in culture in general. Um, Every year, my wife and I, we find a show that we, we watch together. When we first got married, it was 24. And 24 was awesome. To me, if you'd ask me, Jack Bauer, other than Jesus, was the greatest man that ever lived in this, um, in this planet. And then after 24 was over, um, we watched Lost, which I really got drawn into. I'm not really a sci-fi guy, but uh, I was into it, right? And then once Lost went away, I thought, we got to think of another show. College game day wasn't an option. And so we were thinking about, what can we, what can we watch? So this year, we've been watching um, The Voice, and yeah, you can laugh. That's all right. Um, if you don't know about The Voice, The Voice is a show about singing, all right? And there's four, there's four judges. They're all singers. And my least favorite character is Christina Aguilera. And then my favorite character is CeeLo Green because he's, uh, he's a baller, right? And so I like him. But on this show, the, the singers sing, and they're supposed to get critical feedback, right? Critical feedback. When these guys look at them, they don't just say, hey, you know what? You're not very good. You were wrong over here, you were wrong over there, you should get better. That would be the best thing for these people. But they go, oh, wow, that's a nice dress. I like the ambiance. Wow, it's cold in here. And they don't just give it straight, straight forward. And that's, that's just kind of the way we are um, as a culture. And unfortunately, not only will people not be honest with us in the workplace, in the marketplace, but um, um, it's even happened that way in churches. There was, there was an article in the USA, you said USA Today um, a couple years ago, and the title was... Um, has the notion of sin been lost? And, and, and it was saying how so many preachers and interviewing preachers who said that they don't mention sin from the pulpit. They, they don't want to make people feel guilty. And hear me, our goal is not to make you feel guilty, but, but if we stop mentioning sin, if we stop preaching what the Bible preaches about humanity and about our condition, that we are sinners by nature and by choice, that we just don't sin, but we have the disposition to sin and that God is not pleased with that. If we don't, if we don't teach about sin, one, I'm a failure at what I do, and two, I'm not putting you in position to have a desire and a need and a longing for a Savior ministers, pastors, preachers who say we don't want to talk about sin can't really talk about Jesus. Because if we don't talk about and understand the weight of our own sin, if we're not honest enough, then the cross would be trivial. It, it would make no sense that God left the comforts of heaven to die on the cross. You see, we have to have an understanding of sin, and not to the, just sin in itself, that we are sinners, but also the effects of sin. That the world that we live in is not a happy place. Are there good things? Absolutely. But sin is as wide as creation meaning everything that God created good has been tainted by sin. That is you, that's me, that's our relationships, that's the places we work, it's the schools that we go to, the people we encounter, all tainted by sin. That's the truth, that's the reality, that's what the Bible teaches. The best book I ever read on sin was by Cornelius Plantigan, and he gives, he gives this um, definition of sin in this book called Not the Way It's Supposed to Be. And here's what he says, sin is a hard heart and a stiff neck. Sin is blindness and deafness. It is both the overstepping of the line and the failure to reach it, both transgression and shortcoming. Sin is a beast crouching at the door. In sin, people attack or evade or neglect their divine calling. 
These and other images suggest deviance. Even when it's familiar, sin is never normal. Sin is disruption of the created harmony and then resistance to divine restoration of that harmony. Above all, sin disrupts and resists the the vital human relation to God and does all this disrupting and resisting in a number of intertwined ways. In other words, what he's communicating is not only are you and I sinners by nature and choice, but this world has been tainted by sin. Not only will we sin, but we will be sinned against. And because this world is broken, there are things that will happen to us physically that are a result of human rebellion against God. That's exactly where we pick up here with this woman. The woman in this story, she's not like the women that we talked about before. Um, we, We still don't know her name. Um, What we will find out about her is that she's not promiscuous as some of the women we've talked about. This is just a woman who is a sinner and yet has been affected by sin. And what she needs and what we need and what the world needs because of the brokenness that sin has caused, we need a savior. And that's exactly what God has come to do in Christ Jesus. And so we'll pick up in verse 24. It says, A great crowd followed him and thronged about him, And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who had suffered under much much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better, better, but rather grew worse. And so let's pause here and talk about this woman. Um, Again, we don't know this woman's name, but we know that she has been affected by sin. Um, Again, I don't want to ever, she's a sinner, and yet this particular case, she's been affected by sin. She has a disease. And what we'll see is this, is that she's been bleeding for 12 years, 12 years. And so I just want to point out the effects of sin in this woman's life. First, sin had affected her physically. Um, She had a disease that caused her to be bleeding for 12 long years. And and not only did it affect her physically, but it affected her her socially. In Leviticus chapter 15, there was laws that prescribed that when a woman was on her menstrual cycle, that she was considered unclean during that time. She couldn't touch her family. She couldn't touch her husband. She couldn't sit on the same bed. She could not go to worship with people that she had to be unclean. And as soon as the bleeding would stop, she could be restored and be cleaned again. This woman, however, never had a remission of her bleeding. So for 12 straight years, she she was bleeding and she continued to bleed. What that means is whatever family she did have, they were completely separated from her at a distance. If she did have a husband, he had to be separated from her um, and probably would have divorced her. No friends, no human contact, no human interaction. And so this woman, not just her sin, but had been affected by sin um, emotionally and socially, religiously, because she was not able to worship in the temple, the place where God's glory and his presence dwelled, that people would travel to from, from far distance to worship God. She couldn't be there. And not only did it affect her in those ways, but it also affected her financially. Uh, Verse 26 says, She had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better but grew worse. Meaning whatever money that she had, she kept giving to doctors and she would give to more doctors and they would try different remedies and it just didn't work. And now she's she's actually worse. She's worse. And so this woman's position, position is a desperate position and that's where we find her in. And I think the reason why sin affects her emotionally on this, too, um, is because the thought was in this time that people who, had, who were handicapped, people who were disabled, uh, people who had diseases, the reason why they had these diseases um, was because of some particular sin that they had done. 
Um, because someone had done something in their family or maybe they had committed a particular sin, and so that's why they were in the position that they were in. Um, This is what the common thought was. In fact, we see this in the gospel was when Jesus' disciples, they see a handicapped person and they say, Jesus, who, who sinned, this man or his parents? And Jesus says, no, 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 no. This has nothing to do with his sin, his personal sin. Is he a sinner? Absolutely. But, but this, this, this disability has nothing to do with the sin, but so that God may be glorified. You see, unfortunately, this same teaching that was happening then is the same teaching that happens now. It's a normal thought process and for us to think that because we've done something in our past, whether um, our distant past or very near past, that, that somehow God is going to punish us. And that, that God is just and punish us, punishing his children because of a particular sin. Um, this happens. This, this happens in our congregation. When I meet with young couples, and when we do premarital counseling, or I'm meeting with them, and, and they begin to unpack their story. And, and namely, it usually uh, centers around the ideal of they've done something in their past that was a sin, and they're, and they're thinking that God would be just in punishing them. It usually centers around um, abortion. Um, women, men will come and say, um, before we were Christians, or we were Christians but not living as Christians, um, we, we, we did this sin. And now that we are walking with Jesus, now that we sit underneath the gospel, if we're going to have kids, um, chances are our kids are going to either have some sort of deformity or some sort of disease because God would be just in punishing us. That's not the gospel. The gospel lets us know that if you are in Christ Jesus, the gospel lets us know that if you believe in Jesus, God would not be just in punishing you. Here's why. God took your punishment for your sins, past, present, and future, and he punished Jesus in your place. The the gospel lets us know that God does not have wrath for his children, that Jesus took the full wrath of us, and so that theology is not a good theology. That teaching is not healthy doctrine. Um, What would be good is to say, uh, we will suffer consequences because of our sins, Not the punishment of God's wrath, but we will suffer consequences. There are particular diseases that people will get and have because of consequences of particular acts. Um, Some of those could be sexual transmitted diseases. I remember the first time I I heard about the HIV virus. Um, I was in fourth grade. Some of you guys know this and you you hate me for it, but I, I really love the Los Angeles Lakers. Ooh. Hey, love your enemies, all right? Um, and Magic Johnson was like my hero. I wanted to be like Magic. Like, I just wanted to smile like Magic, play basketball like Magic. I'm like a foot shorter than him. But the, the day that I found out we were in fourth grade, our PE teacher gathers together and sat down and goes, hey, I just want to let you guys know um, Magic Johnson has this virus. I'm, by the way, I'm nine. I have no idea what's going on. And here's Mr. Larrick, our lame PE teacher, trying to explain to us about what this disease was and how he got it. And like, <laughs> The more I look back on that, I'm like, what was he doing, right? Um, but but <laughs> why would he do that? And I'm crying, he's going to die, right? And, and, um, <laughs> it, but th- that was a consequence of his, of, his, of his choices. This woman right now, what she has, this is just a disease. Sometimes we get illnesses. Sometimes we get cancer. Sometimes um, we, we, we are born with things that we cannot fix. And I just, I just want to be clear here that, that God is a good God. And God's response to all of those things is exactly what Jesus says. He goes, no, it's not because of a particular sin. It's so that God may be glorified. That God himself, big picture, looks at our situation, the situation of a broken world, and goes, this is an opportunity for me to show off my glory. 
that you, you, we have to understand this if we're really going to understand suffering, is that, that, that God himself can be, will be, is glorified, and no matter what suffering that you're going through. And we see this right now, even in this story. As we continue, verse 27, it says, she had, she had heard reports, reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd to touch his garment. Um, so she heard about Jesus. And when she heard about Jesus, she heard about this Jesus who was the Messiah, who was the Son of God, who was going to restore this world. In fact, hold your place here and turn two pages to the left uh, to Mark chapter 1. Verse 15, this is Jesus' first words uh, recorded in the Gospel of Mark. And here's what he says in 15. He says, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. What that meant to a Jewish person to hear that the kingdom of God was at hand, that meant that God had broken in, that healing was coming, that the forgiveness of sins would be there, that there would be a sense of restoring of shalom, a peace and wholeness and flourishing. And so she heard reports about Jesus, that he would be one who would forgive sins, that he would be one that would be able to make her well. And because she heard these reports, she wanted to come find Jesus. Some people say, no, 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 this, this woman just had superstitious faith. She heard that Jesus was healing people, and so that's what she wanted to do in this moment. And I don't agree with them. Um, it's not superstitious faith. I think this woman, and she's saying, I, if I could just touch the hem of his garment, well, I think what she's thinking is, I just need to be around Jesus. I just need Jesus. Jesus is enough. Jesus is exactly what I need. Um, it's not so much the, it's never the amount of our faith. It's always the object of our faith. Never the amount. Sometimes we hear ministers, we hear pastors say, you just got to have big faith, big faith, big faith. And it's no, you can have faith the size of a mustard seed as long as the object of your faith is big. We may have small faith, but we believe in a big God. This woman was going to risk to go find Jesus because all she needed was Jesus. If you walk away with anything today, if there's one thing you remember, what did the pastor talk about today? That Jesus is enough. This woman got that. And so she says in her head, um, it, it says in verse 29, excuse me, verse 28, she says, if I touch even his garments, I would be made well. A better rendering of that would mean over and over in her head, she's saying, if I just touched his garments, if I just touched his garment, if I just touch his garments, I will be made well. She's, she's, she's in some ways trying to preach the gospel to herself. All I need is Jesus. All I need is Jesus in this moment, and she wants to touch him. Now, the question that I have here is, how does she know that Jesus is going to be where he's at? As I'm studying him, how does she know, okay, this is a woman who's not supposed to be around people, and somehow she's going to find Jesus? This story of this woman is sandwiched between another story. And the story is that Jesus um, hears about a guy named Jairus whose daughter is dying. Um, his daughter dies. Jesus gets there. He saves her. Um, he raises her from the dead. Not to ruin the story, but that's not what we're talking about today. It's a great story. Read it for a different time, all right? And so I don't know how this woman knows this. I don't know if she follows him on Twitter or something, like Jesus is going through, you know, the Mill Avenue of Capernaum or something. I have no idea. At the Savior uh, of the world. I, I don't know what, what, it, what it may be for her. I mean, I'm asking this questions of saying, like, has she been following him? I have no idea, but I, I do know this. She knows he's going to be there. And she knows there's going to be a crowd, and she's plotting, how am I going to touch him? I just want to touch the hinge of his garment. And, and in Numbers chapter um, 15, Numbers chapter 15, and also Deuteronomy chapter 22, it gives us um, prescriptions of what men in the Old Testament would do, how they would take their garments and they would put tassels on their garments, and the tassels themselves would hang and they would represent a holiness to the Lord, a commitment to holiness to the Lord, and a commitment uh, to be loyal to his word. 
And so this is probably what Jesus had. And this woman's looking, and, I, and I, she's going, all right, somehow I'm going to get in. If I could just, just, just grab. Okay, I, I think this is a very awkward setting. Um, people are walking down in the marketplace, and this woman's trying to just jump out and touch Jesus, right? And so she does it. And verse 29 says, immediately the flow of blood dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. That, that, that's it. And she just touched him. That she, all I have to do is just touch Jesus. All I have to do is be near Jesus. And it says immediately she felt that the blood was dried up. Immediately she was healed. The story continues, and, and she says um, in, ver- in verse 30, Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, had immediately turned around about in the crowd and said, who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, you see the crowd pressing around you, and you say, yet you say, who touched me? And, and so here's what's happening here. There is, a, there is a crowd here. And if you've ever been in a crowd with people all around you, people are touching you left and right. And so the disciples look at Jesus and like, Jesus, we get it. You're God's son, but this is a dumb question, right? You, you, you ask who's touching you. People are touching people left and right. And, and, and there's a picture in my mind of Jesus walking through this crowd. And it's not the picture... Um, it's not the picture that we see in movies. You ever notice when you watch a movie of Jesus, he walks very upright and slow, and he's looking to the right and to the left. And it's like, if you ever see that, it's like you never see Jesus make any sudden movements or whatnot. And, and my guess is, now this is just me, it's not written in the Bible, so my guess is that Jesus, being the Savior of the world, uh, being King of kings, Lord of lords, that Jesus didn't walk like that. I, my, my guess is Jesus had a little bit of swag, um, holy swag, nevertheless. Uh, but there's, but the, there, there was, so, so I picture Jesus going through this crowd. Mind you, he's in a rush. He's got to go heal this girl. Um, I think I told you, this story is sandwiched between another story where this daughter was dying. She dies. Jesus goes, he raises her from the dead, but that's a totally different story. You can read it later. All right, so Jesus is in the middle of this, and so my guess is Jesus is walking through this crowd with a little bit of swag, right? So he's kind of like, let me get out of here left and right, right? That's, that's kind of what, what he's doing, I think. And this woman jumps out and grabs him. And so he feels kind of a tug, like, man, who's touching me in here? And the disciples, they don't get it. You know, they're like, hey, Jesus, what are you talking about? We have, we have somewhere to go. And he goes, no, I felt power released from me. And so he begins to look around. In verse 32, it says, and he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him, and told him the whole truth. We have a picture of worship here. The woman knew, one, that she had received healing from the Lord. And out of fear and trembling, there's a fear because she knew, I just did something I shouldn't have done. Because she, I'm an unclean person. And I just touched Jesus. I, I just touched the Messiah. And so, in me touching the, desire, the, the Messiah, I just made him unclean but it was in me touching him that made him unclean that I'm actually clean. There's a, there's a sense of fear because she doesn't know what type of God Jesus is. She doesn't know that, that the, the very reason why he came was to save the lost, to redeem the lost, to heal brokenness. And so she doesn't know what to expect, but she knows she comes with fear and trembling and she goes, I did it. And she says, she told him the whole story and the story probably went like 12 years ago. I, I started my menstrual cycle and it never stopped. I lost my family, I lost my job, I lost my kids, I lost everything that I knew. I lost even a sense of reality to be in touch with God. 
I've been a social outcast for 12 years. I heard about you. I heard that you were God's son. I heard that you were bringing in the kingdom, and the kingdom meant forgiveness of sins and wholeness. And I thought, if I could just come and touch your garment, I would be healed. And I came, and I touched you. I'm sorry, but I'm healed. And what this woman encounters is she counters not only the holiness of Jesus, not only the power of Jesus, but she encounters the compassion of Jesus. Jesus says, and says to her in verse 34, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus says, your faith has made you well. This, this woman got to see that Jesus wasn't upset or angry that she touched him. Jesus was, was marveling at her faith saying you, you, you believed, and because you believed, your faith has made you well. It's a phenomenal story, and the four things that I want to point out that we see as Jesus and this woman meet, and as this woman encounters Jesus, four things that we see about Jesus that I pray and hope that we would see in our own lives. The, the first thing is that Jesus makes time for the social outcast. Well, what we see is Jesus is in a rush. Jesus has things to do. Jesus is busy, just like m- m- most of us. But what does he do? He stops. He could have just healed this woman. He could have known this woman was healed, and he could have kept going to where he was going. But he stops, and he makes time for her. He makes time for this person that no one else was going to make time for. And, and, and here, if we are to be the church, his bride, and we're supposed to be the hands and feet, the reflection of Jesus in this world, uh, I think that we should do the same. And when I talk about the social outcast, not only the widow, not only the orphan, not only the poor, but practically for you, Think about the people in your life that you you just don't want to be around. The people in your life that just suck you dry. The people, when they call and you see it's them, and you go, oh, it's them. Looking around just to see if they're around you, see if you ignored their call, right? It's those people. It's the people that you know, if I answer this phone call, this is going to be not only time-consuming, but it's going to drain me. those are the type of people that, that God says make time for those people. Out of all these points that I have here, this was the one that was most convicting to me. I love people. I really do. And I love to be around people. A couple weeks ago, I, I was joking around saying how there's, there's coffee shops that I go to that none of you guys know about, and I'm not going to tell you what they are. Um, someone said, you don't want to be at places with people? And it's like, no, I love being around people. Trust me, you don't want to see me at a coffee shop because I will distract you from everything. I love talking to people. I will talk you dead, right? <laughs> So it had nothing to do with me not wanting to see you. Trust me, I'm trying to help you out, right? And, but, but there's a sense there, I know that there are some people in my life that I'm going, that phone call, and I go, that email, and I go, now, none of you guys, no one at this church, um, no, not at this church, right? But there are people like that. And, and the reason why that's convicting is because God is saying that I, I, those are the type of people that I came for. Um, spiritually speaking, that's who all of us are before a holy God. And yet God stops, he makes time, he finds this woman, and, and, and even he sacrifices the appointment that he has to make time for this person. And I, I think it's important for us to make time for those people. And, and even on a more practical level for us is to make time for those of us in this room. One of the critiques of our church, and I've said it before, and I'm going to keep saying it until we get better at it, is that this particular church, uh, this congregation, is a church that you can come in those doors, sit down, sing some songs, and then leave, and no one can say hello to you, no one can say, hey, what's up, no one can give you some dab, no one can give you some knuckles, whatever it is that you do, right? None of that, right? And that's not on everybody else. You have to look at that's on you. So, um, you may have something to do later. I know. The Laker game starts at 6.30. You want to go watch that. Um, maybe you 
in place of watching that, you find someone that you don't know and say, hey, let's go eat. Let's go to Quick Trip. I'm sure there's some good hot dogs over there. So like, <laughs> don't do that. <laughs> but but maybe there's somewhere, maybe there's somewhere that, that you can go. It, it's, it's saying, I'm going to make time for you. Um, I'm going to make time for you. What we see is, is that Jesus makes time for us. And on a personal level, Jesus makes time for all of us. And I know that sounds all mushy, but it's the truth, because sometimes in my own life, um, there are moments and there's things that I want to pray about that seem to be small, and it's like, ah, I'm not going to come to God for that. He's busy. He's doing other things like saving the world. And yet, um, Jesus makes time for us. The, the next thing that we see about Jesus in this is that, that Jesus gives us a totally new identity. Um, in verse 34, he calls this woman daughter. We don't know her name. The only thing he addresses her as is daughter, meaning before she did not know God, before she was a woman that no one really recognized other than being the, the unclean woman. But when she encounters Jesus, she's given a completely new identity, meaning whatever she had, had happened to her and whatever she had done before she knew Jesus, it was completely different. That now God was not going to relate to her by her disease or her failures or her sin, but he was going to relate to her as a daughter, as a child. Um, This is massively important for Christians because so often we find our identity in other things other than what Jesus calls us. We find our identities in what we've done, bad or good, and whatever school we went to, whatever family we grew up in, whatever city we live in, instead of having a true identity in that, that doesn't change. And how God sees us. God looks at his children and he sees us washed, he sees us renewed, he sees us loved, only in the work and through the work of Jesus Christ. And so when we encounter Jesus, we don't bring with us to Jesus um, our baggage. Because ultimately, the penalty of our baggage, as we talked about, Jesus took care of. And we don't bring to him either um, what we've done well. God, look at this. It may be a means to worship God, but not a means for God to somehow worship us. It's very important for us to understand that our identity, everything else is secondary. Your race, where you're from, where you went to school, it's secondary to being a child of God. If you are here and you profess Jesus, everything else is secondary. And the way that you develop and you grow in that identity is in the context of one another's. That we are saved by faith and faith alone, but we are not saved by faith that remains alone. You can't say I'm going to be a Christian and all I'm going to do is read my Bible, which you should do, and pray, which you should do, alone. You have to be in the context of one another's. We say it every week here. The best way that we do that is in redemption communities. Is redemption communities the only way to do one another's? Absolutely not. Is redemption communities something that is God-given and, and it's explicit in the text? No. Redemption community is called redemption communities because the name of our church is redemption. And we're in community, right? We're really not that smart, right? So that, that's, that's, it's just a way for us to get together with people. Now, within that, it's going to be hard. It's going to be messy. Um, it's going to be really messy. Think about this. <laughs> Think about this woman showing up. She's probably had not had conversations with people, probably doesn't know how to talk very well, but over a period of time, being with other people, being shaped by other people, this would be good for her. And it'd be good for us too. So often I hear people say, I don't want to be in that group. There, there's too many married people in that group. Uh, get married. I don't know. Like, or I don't, I, don't, I don't want to be in this group. There's too many singles. I don't want to be in this group. There's too many white people. And I'm like, whoa. right? And, and it, we're, we're looking for people to be just like us. Here, here's the deal. The church is not supposed to be made up of people who are just like you. The only thing that we, ha- we should have in common and that we will have in common, the only thing that matters is a love for Jesus Christ. Outside of that, that's who we should be pointing each other to. 
Though I'm not going to grow in my identity as a believer if I'm not around you guys, if I'm not receiving critique from you guys. Um, and you're not going to grow in your identity and your place as a believer in Jesus Christ unless you're around other people, old people, young people, smart people, n- not as smart people, right? The pe- you, you have to be in the context of community to understand our identity and to really encounter Jesus. Um, you grow best in small groups environments. The, the, the next thing that we see here is Jesus heals the broken. We see in verse 29, it says, and immediately the flow of blood dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And I want to spend some time on this. Um, when we start to talk about Jesus as a healer, um, we, there's a spectrum of what people, people who believe in Jesus believe. On one side, you have people who would read this text and would say, do you see how big this woman's faith was? Because she had faith that was so big, God healed her. The reason why you're sick the reason why you're hurting, the reason why you're, you're not being healed is because your faith is too small. If you would just believe more, you would be healed. And um, that is very, very bad teaching. That is very, very bad teaching. There are godly people in this room. There are godly people in this, in this world who have believed upon the gospel and have never been healed. There, there are people that you and I have prayed for and prayed that God would remove something from them and only to find out that God had took them home to be with the Lord. But on the flip side, on the far end of the spectrum, we have people who go, yeah, 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 God can heal. I mean, we've seen some things in the Bible, but mainly we can just rely on modern medicine. And I I don't want to discredit modern medicine. I think that is an act of God that we can have treatment. In fact, this woman's situation might have could have been treated um, today in the advancements that God has given us through common grace. However, to have this thought is not to believe in the restorative power of the gospel. That, that, that if, we, we can't, we, if we don't believe that God is a healer, there's something about the gospel that we're not believing. There's something about the word of God that we're not believing. And so what is our response as Christians? What should we do? What would be a balanced approach? A balanced approach is to say every time someone's sick, every time someone needs healing, that we would lay our hands on them and pray and believe that God would heal them. Because here, here's the promise for those who are in Christ Jesus. God will heal you in this life or in the life to come. And I don't say that to duck away. He will heal you in this life or the life to come. What we also know, as we heard earlier, is that he's glorified in it. Even if he doesn't, he's still good. He's still God. There's been situations where elders of this church, where we've prayed for people, people who the doc, literally hearing the doctor tell a mom, it's time for you to think about pulling the plug because there's nothing else we can do, and then watch a kid come out of a coma. That, that was a God thing. And we've also been in the same situations where the same thing has happened and that person has gone home to be with the Lord. That's the tension that we live in. When Jesus said that his kingdom has come, it's come but not yet fully. So we live in the tension that God himself does have the ability, God himself does have the desire to heal, and sometimes he chooses not to. We may not know why. I don't know why he takes some people. I don't know why some of you suffer in the way that you suffer. I have no idea. I don't. And for me to tell you, oh, I know exactly why, I don't know. I do know this. He's still good, he's still faithful, he still cares, and we know this because Jesus suffered himself, and we know at, at some day when we see him face to face, we will know. In this life, we won't know everything, and that's just the tension that we'll have to live in. But to say that he's not a healer, we wouldn't be looking at our, our text and saying that, we wouldn't be honest with the text to say that Jesus is not a healer. And so our response is to pray. Every, every, every week when we gather, and we have people here for prayer, prayer we pray for healing, not just physically, I pray for some of us to, to, to kick our addictions. 
some of us to be healed of our brokenness, some of us to be healed of our unbelief. Um, we just pray ultimately. And the prayer that we have is the prayer that Jesus gives his disciples. He says, pray that my kingdom would come. And so when I pray for people, I say, Lord, would your kingdom come in this person's life as it is in heaven? Would it come in this marriage? Like, will you heal this marriage as it is in heaven? Would you pray? I pray for my sing- our singles constantly um, th- that have a desire to be married or feel the pressure to be married that they shouldn't have. And we pray your kingdom come in here, Lord, that they would see that you were more than enough. That's what this woman wanted. If all this woman had was an encounter with Jesus and she was healed, it wouldn't have been enough. If all she had was an encounter with Jesus who spent time with her, looked her in the eyes, and said some nice things to her, it wouldn't have been enough. He wouldn't be the savior of the world. If all he he said to her was, hey, hang out with more Christians, it wouldn't have been enough. Because at the end of the day, this woman's greatest problem wasn't that she was bleeding. At the end of the day, our greatest problem is not of any physical disabilities that we have. Our greatest problem is not even so much the sins we commit. Our greatest problem is that we are sinners and there's nothing we can do about it unless God enters in. The good news of this story, hear me, the good news of this story is not that this woman was healed. That is beautiful. The better news is that this woman was forgiven of her sin. And you say, how do you get that out of this text? Verse 34, last point that we see when we encounter Jesus, we know that he saves the world. Verse 34 says, daughter, your faith has made you well. That word well there, if you have a Bible, you can underline that. The word well there in the Greek is soso, which is S-O-Z-O. It's the same word that we would use and the Bible use over and over again for the forgiveness of sin. It's salvation. It means to save And so what we have here is we see the full restorative power of Jesus. Not only did he heal this woman physically, but he took care of her greatest disease. Jesus knew the way that I will stop this woman's bleeding is knowing that I will spill my blood. The the way that I, I, I can heal this woman of 12 years of bleeding is for me ultimately knowing that the reason why I came into this world, not just to heal her bleeding, not just to heal us of our addictions, not just to forgive us of sins, but ultimately to be the savior of the world, the only way that God would be living with us for all eternity. The greatest, the greatest need that we have, that we had is to be to have a savior. And the only way that would happen is that Jesus would go to the cross and that he would spill his blood. What we have here, and it often goes overlooked is that this is not just a story of healing, though our God is a phenomenal healer, but this story is about a holy God who desires to save all who would come to him by faith. What made this woman well was her faith. What makes Jesus a savior is not that he heals. What makes him a savior is that he forgives, amen? So some, some of us, we, we pray for the healing we should. Some of us, we, we need it desperately. But the healing that we need the most is for God to deal with this in our sin, for God to, to, to deal with this in our, our, our own um, pet sins, for God to deal with us in our unbelief, for God to deal with us, deal with us when we treat people um, in ways that we should not treat them, for God to deal with us in our, in our inability to, to, to congregate and be a church, and our inability to know him. And all of this is ours freely in the life and in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So I implore you on behalf of Jesus Christ, if you're a Christian here, to remind yourself of the gospel daily, to pray to God, who's a big God, no matter how small your faith is, that he would heal, that he would renew, and that your walk in Jesus Christ would be strong. I implore you here, if you're not a Christian, to believe like this woman, to just say, if I could just, if I could just touch the hem of his garment, I would be forgiven. Amen? Let's pray.
Father, there is no good news without bad news. And the bad news, Lord, is that we are broken people. Lord, that we are sinners, Lord, deserving of your wrath. Lord, that we have been sinned against, that we have, many of us, been abused. We've been wronged by other people's sin. Father, that we, have, we are experiencing the effects of sin on so many levels, with depression, with addictions, Lord, with sickness. And Father, we pray um, in hope and in belief in the gospel that you would continue to pour upon your spirit, that you would give us belief, Lord, in your gospel. Lord, we pray so often with the man in the gospel who says, I believe, but help me with my unbelief. God, we believe that you are a healer, Lord, but it is so easy for us not to believe. We believe that you are a good God, but Lord, we oftentimes, we don't believe. We believe that you forgive us of our sin and that you give us grace, Lord, to continue to walk in your ways, but it's hard to believe. Many are here, Lord, who have never believed in you, Father, and the gift of salvation, the gift of faith is a gift. And so, Lord, we pray that you would give it. God, we pray that you would mature us as a body. You would mature us as a church. And that, Lord, we would constantly feast upon your grace and feast upon your word. That we would run to you like this woman. And just, just saying in our minds over and over again, and our souls and our hearts and our mind and our intellect, that all we need is Jesus and he's enough. Father, I pray that you would make that truth real to us, Lord, as we respond. As we respond to continue to worship you and we come to your table to remember what you have done in the work and through the work of your son, Jesus. It's in that great, precious name that we pray. Amen.